Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. I gotta move this fucking thing. I think my chair's in the wrong spot. I gotta, like, burp <clears throat> for my ginger ale, and it got stuck. So. Why did you start a ginger ale before this? I had a little bellyache. Oh, my God. I got bubbles in my tummy. You are a fucking bellyache. <laughs> Good Lord. Baby, episode fifty-five. Did you ever think we'd get to, we'd get here? No. I know. Me, me either. No. Did you ever think we'd have so many listeners? No. I fucking I love you guys. You guys rock. Seriously. You guys absolutely rock. Please keep spreading the word. Yeah. Please keep listening. Follow, like, subscribe, write reviews. We love it all. I have more merch designs too. Oh shit! I do. Look out! No big deal. You're going to be making me a poop shoot shirt. Uh, I am. Uh, I have to wait for your size shirt to get here. Okay. So. It'll be ready for if you haven't, well, if you. If you're just joining us. Yeah. Well, last episode was a Patreon episode, so. Oh, so we didn't, yeah. Uh, listeners, we were invited to the Chicago Fan Expo to speak on a panel. And I'm terrified. Yes. <laughs> It is us and another Chicago-based podcast, Marginalized Murder. Mm -hmm. She's doing one. About the 51 strangulations in Chicago. Um, But we are going to be speaking with her to a group of people about the ins and outs of how to do a true true crime podcast. So we are excited. We are nervous. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah. You're going to have to roll me up on the stage. Oh, Jesus. But, like, we just got the email. It's going to be in a theater. Yeah, because there's so many people now. It's at a big convention center in Rosemont. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with Rosemont, it's, like, convention centers. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's really all that's there. That's in the Allstate Arena. Well, and there's, there's that big shopping. Yeah, there's center a huge thing. shopping center. And but there's it's another right next like, to the airport concert place there that that's where Lynn and I saw Alabama. Yeah, the Ooh, Rosemont sorry. Theater. Was it the Rose? I don't fucking remember. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's a big deal. Like yeah. it's there's going to be a lot of uh, big time actors there. I guess it's cosplay too. So which Guys, I'm not huge yeah. into, but but I get to tell Opie how much his TV death affected my life mm-hmm. he's probably so, not even gonna talk to you he's probably not but and i probably will not be able to speak with him because we all know how well i do yeah. in front of famous people but the i day get that, stuck on stupid the day that we're there we're gonna be saturday and our slot is from three to four but our day saturday a bunch of the guys from sons of anarchy are gonna be there which is gonna blow my mind yes. jacks opie clay so naturally, you're rewatching it, and I'm watching it over your shoulder. I know, so. I know. I got so excited, Whatever. I started the series over yeah. again. But we're excited. So um, apparently, it will be recorded. I don't know if it's taped, but we will. They told us to bring a thumb drive so we can yeah. record it. Um, they have all the equipment, so we're we gonna, don't have a clue. Yeah, and the other podcaster doesn't. It's really her know first he, time doing it, yeah. a live event too. So, um, but we're, we'll try to upload it. You know, once I get it on, on the thumb drive, we'll 
try to post yeah. it to either YouTube or our, uh, web, our, our website. website. Yeah. But we should we should get ready because I mean we should start having live shows soon. I know. I don't even know how to fucking go about doing that. But like I mean, I'm gonna make you answer all the questions anyway. I know. So. I know. That's pretty much what you do anyways. But uh, like I wanna have a live show. I just don't know how to go about doing it. Yeah. I think eventually we will once yeah. our fan base gets there. Australia is picking up. Every yeah. time I'm on the internet, like a new Australian is liking our, our podcast. Yep. So that might be our first road show. Guys, the, the spiders eat the birds. I know. I can't. Blech. Oh, my God. That's frightening. Blech. Oh, it scares me. So do we have any new Patreons, we babe? We do. Are you ready for them? Yeah. I got it on my phone now. Good. Hmm. Good. So we have uh, Suzanne. Suzanne. Who is uh, from somewhere in the UK. Oh, Because nice. her pledges in pounds. And I got very well, fucking fuck excited. Do we, they convert it. Okay. But yeah. I got very excited. It is a pound. Yeah. Don't. Don't. I'm sorry. You're going to piss them off. I know. Don't. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. Just fucking. I'm sorry. I'll I punch her. Don't it. worry. Yeah. Um, Cindy. Teresa. And Crystal. See, they can make fun of me like, oh, yeah, dude. What's up, dude? Ugh. If that's what you fuck it. You don't sound like that. Well, I'm just saying they can make fun of me back. Oh. All right. Well, I'll give them ideas. Okay. Yeah. Patreons, you guys absolutely rock. Thank you for supporting us. Seriously. Yeah. We did not expect this at all. And there's more and more Patreons. Thank you, guys. And... Now that we have ads in our episodes, mm-hmm. remember if you join up, no matter what tier, it's all ad free. It's all ad free, and with merchandise, you get whatever tier you're on, you get that percentage off on merchandise. So, yep. and, um, and we, then pretty soon we are going to be planning another live show for our twenty dollar tiers. Um, the live show last time, it would have been nice if we had more people, but I we think didn't it, give people a lot of notice. Yeah. Either, so, but I think it still went well. A yeah. Lot of, we had some fun saying, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of shooting the shit on there. Staring and, at each other. <laughs> yeah. Planning, you know, eventual Paul, uh, pub crawl. Mm-hmm. So, um, Hell yeah. but that will be in the works too. And we will give ample notice yeah. for that. Yeah. So, yeah. And I have to go back to work tomorrow. Yeah. So I was supposed to go back Tuesday, but now I'm going back tomorrow. So I got used to you being home. I know you did. So did Jax. I love you, baby. No, you don't. You just don't want to get up. I know. <laughs> Who the fuck is going to empty my pee bottle? Dude, Jax Who is, is going to fucking get... hate oh, you. Oh, <laughs> dude, he is my servant. He has no clue what's going to fucking hit him. Man. He's going to call me 172 fucking times tomorrow. Yep. So. Mom, I had to empty his pee bottle for the 10th time. Oh Mom, God. he drinks too much water. Yeah. Mom, mm-hmm. he wants me to get this. He wants me to get that. Like, they they even know at work. Yeah. That that my phone rings all day. Yeah. So. I'm going to do my best to be independent, though. I'm, I don't want him to constantly be. He's lying. I'm absolutely lying. I'm just trying to sound nice. I'm trying to sound like a father that cares. Stop stop trying to bullshit a bullshitter. Like, for real. Jax is in for it. Yeah, he's going to be like, what the fuck, dad? 
don't see how your coffee is today. Dude, this kid. So on the 4th, he was outside watching fireworks. <sighs> and to be honest with you, that kind of freaked me out. Yeah. So he was like, well, come outside with me. He texted me. And I'm like, I, I don't really want to. Do you want to? He texts me back. Fine. I guess you just don't want to make memories. <laughs> what the dude nine years old i was like are you kidding me that's awesome so my fat ass got up and went outside i, I was happy that you went out because i i felt terrible and i Ugh. the socks it was the ninth inning I'm like i'll just fucking go out there after the game right because i wasn't doing anything you know well god here we go but then he got mad because i wouldn't sit down but i had a guest over i had my he's nephew. not a fucking guest he's not a guest Sorry, Josh. You're not a fucking guest. You're my nephew. I love you. I I, I love I, you dearly, but you're not a guest. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, once you're here more than once, you, nope. You basically live here, yeah. dude. You're here more than once. Get up and get your own shit. No. You know where it is by now. We have a very open floor plan. You can see things. You can right. find it. So I can't wait till you get to the bottom of that cup. <laughs> Middle finger? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I love that much. I love that cup. Uh, All right, we're in 10 minutes, so let's uh, yeah. let's get rolling here. Uh, okay, so today we are doing um, Heaven's Gate. This was my pick. Yes. I kind of like the goofy cases, so... It's weird. It, it gets my interest. I saw um, not too long ago, I can't remember what channel it was, but it was a documentary on it, yeah. and... A lot of stuff I didn't know. No. Like with the female leader. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know mm-hmm. about her. Um, it got, like it went downhill. Oh, it goes quick. Yeah. yeah. It goes quick. It's, but, and he's got crazy eyes. Yes. So I, Killer Queens, a podcast that I listen to. Um, I love you girls. Listen, please. Um, they referred to his eyes as Manson lamps. <laughs> Manson lamps? Charles Manson. Yeah. How he has crazy eyes. Manson lamps. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious pretty accurate um but i'll be honest with you i knew virtually nothing about this case before i went into it i knew quite a bit i did not at so at all some of this stuff i don't think you'll be surprising me i I, it's pretty um, up on this case i mean i I, and that's why i wanted to do it because it's weird and it's out there no judgy judge i won't be judgy mcjudgerson you everybody believes what they want to believe yeah um and it but it's crazy. It, yeah, yeah. A lot of like, it's hard not to be judgmental yeah. on this because now, it, it's far out there on the beliefs. Religious fanatics tend to go for the Book of Revelations, yeah, because that's the apocalypse, right? So it's and it's interpreted however you interpret it. Like with David Koresh, he was writing his yeah. interpretation of the seven seals, and that's yeah. what they were waiting for him to finish. Yeah. Um, but this guy has a totally different interpretation. Oh yeah, of it, and it's not like new like he didn't come up with this on his own oh. this was a thing prior to i i knew it was a thing yeah. I've, I've heard this theory before yeah. and it's and like seen pictures it's an interpretation of of the bible and yeah. then i mean he just he, and i've seen pictures where they think there's ufos yeah. in them and he took it's it to a of, whole other level though yeah oh yeah yeah like at the end it's ugh. Like I, I'm with you, dude. I'm, I'm literally with you up until like the very, very end, and then at the very end, it's just ugh, that's not interpretation anymore. Right. So. Right. Yeah. But so this will be a good one. This yeah. was my choice. So, are you ready? 
Oh, I'm ready. Hit me with it. All right. So on March 26, 1997, 21 women and 18 men were found dead in a mansion. That long ago? Yeah. In the San Diego suburb. I didn't know it was that recent, actually. I thought it was way longer. Oh, I thought it was Um, 2000. mm -mm. In the San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe, uh, including founder and leader Marshall Herf Applewhite. They were all identically dressed, most with purple shrouds over their face and upper body. To outsiders, it was a mass suicide, the largest in U.S. history. For insiders, it was a graduation, a culmination of 20-plus years of religion and social development, with several names, the last being Heaven's Gate. They had multiple names. Uh, The group, deemed a cult by Apple White himself, developed a complicated theology that consisted of Christian, New Age, and American culture elements, with a set of religious practices formed by a combination of multiple religions, science fiction, and pop culture. Like Star Trek. Literally. Nanu, nanu. Um, I don't... That's... Oh, that's, that's Mork and Mindy. That's Mork and Mindy. That's <laughs> <laughs> not close nanu, to fucking nanu. Star Trek. Um, to the members, Heaven's Gate offered them a chance to feel special and to identify with being an otherworldly spiritual be- being. Quote, an angelic es- extraterrestrial. There's a lot of hard words in this yeah. one. Um, Good job with it. <laughs> they believed in, quote, normal religious beliefs, such as the Heavenly Father and salvation, but in the literal sense, such as literal heavens and extraterrestrial beings. It was a spiritual journey ended by its members on their own terms. Hmm. Uh, so utterly foreign and strange, it defies explanation, which it does. Yeah, it does. So... Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. was born on March 17th. I also saw May 17th, okay. FYI, uh, 1931, in Spur, Texas, to parents Marshall Sr. and Louise Hager in Winfield, Texas. He had two older sisters, Louise and Jane, and he had a younger brother who was uh, severely mentally and physically disabled and lived in a state-run care facility in the city, which I don't know what the city is to that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Marshall Sr. was a Presbyterian minister, a roving Presbyterian minister. What does that mean? So he Travel? goes, yes, and okay. starts churches basically from the ground up. I'll get into okay. it in a little bit. Um, he, now Marshall grew like up. Like that movie with Steve Martin. What movie with Steve Martin? He was a preacher, and like a traveling preacher, and they would build up in different towns. I don't it know. was a comedy. He was like a false preacher. I was going to say, I thought it was like the whole evangelist thing. Oh. Um, so Marshall grew up comfortable, but learned at a very early age to not get attached to anyone uh, or his surroundings. Marshall Sr.'s job had him moving the family all over Texas about every three years. Um, so he would go and he would start the churches from the ground, literally build the church yeah. and then build the congregation then he would preach for however long until they found their own, and then he would move on. So wow. uh, Marshall appeared to be a happy, well-adjusted child. He always had a bounce in his step and gel in his dirty blonde hair. He always had his hair gels. Hmm. Um, and people said he had a twinkle in his blue eyes. Uh, senior appeared to be a great role model and a solid family man who never hesitated to help whatever community they lived in at the time. Uh, so being the roving minister, he would, like I said, start everything. Uh a number, a member, sorry, I can't read my own fucking handwriting, a member of one of these churches that he built in the 1950s said Senior was a, quote, jovial man with excellent organizational and leadership skills who was able to build a congregation of a couple hundred people 
quickly, like within a couple months. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is. Like, I mean, he went to bigger towns. Yeah. But. Still. Yeah. Um, so, Senior and Louise would often get complimented on the children's excellent manners. Mm. Which, our kids have good manners in public. Yeah. That's really all you can ask. You know? They're, They're they great do. in public. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so, I, I gotta admit it. Yeah. At home, it's... Totally different story. Different story, but I mean, I guess that's all that matters is when they're in public, they're they're respectful. So, according to an unnamed family friend, Senior was a different person behind closed doors. He was fiercely stubborn and a strict uh, authoritative man who was very hard. Yeah. Who was very hard on Marshall. Nobody really elaborated. He didn't beat the kids. He didn't, you know, he didn't do anything like that. He just expected a lot out of them. And that was the time period. Yeah. You know, um, the friends said it was to the point, though, cause for concern. Didn't elaborate again. Marshall never complained, though, and he really just wanted to please his father. Uh, he admired him and he wanted to make him proud. So he didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. Marshall was ambitious with a charismatic personality. Now, he... The amount of people that referred to him as charismatic is insane. And I have to define charismatic later because there's a point behind it. Um, Louise would say that he was a born leader and he took part in many extracurricular activities, often trying to be the president of the whatever group he was in. Yeah. Uh, his sister Louise said, quote, he could get people to believe anything. Mm. And he did <laughs> because he was charismatic. Yeah. So, Marshall graduated from Corpus Christi High School in 1948. From there, he went to Austin College. It's unclear what degree he was pursuing at the time that he went. Um, On one source, it says he was a philosophy major. Another source says that he double majored in music and pre-theology at the request of his father. I don't... What's pre-theology versus just theology? I mean, probably the stepping stones, I Mm. would think. So... I mean, I... uh, I know. To be honest with you, I get it because, like, if you just jump into yeah. oh, theology, God. like, which I was going to do with school, it's fucking... I, I thought it was going to be a blow-off oh, class, and it's a lot. Yeah. I googled more so, religious words doing this case than I did with Waco, yeah, which so shocked me. I, I could see pre-theology, yeah. probably just the stepping stones walking you through. So, I do bring this up a little bit later, too. It's believed he spent one semester at the University of Colorado studying music, but it's kind of hard to piece together where, like mm-hmm. at what time point. Um, he was very well-liked at Austin College and was fondly remembered later. He was a typical easygoing freshman who loved colorful beanies. Beanie babies? I feel like he looks like Waldo. No, beanies, like hats. Oh. Yeah. Beanie, ba- beanie babies weren't a thing then. In 97? No, this is in the fucking 50s, babe. He's in college. Yeah, my bad. In 97, they were a thing. I'm not even close to 97 right now. I don't know. What the fuck are you doing? I don't know. Good Lord. I don't know where my brain is. I don't either. (laughs) Shit. What are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So in college, he decided he only wanted to be called Herf. Herf? That's his middle name. Herf. Herf. Hey, Herf. (laughs) I should. It's me. What's up, Herf? <laughs> His roommate, John Alexander, described him as a studious extrovert who was popular and smart but not pushy. He was well-liked by teachers and other students and was uh, the head of multiple Christian groups on campus. His roommate said that despite this, Herf was never fanatically religious at that time. 
Uh, Apple White did have a favorite professor, Glenn Maxwell, who was a philosophy professor who introduced him to famous philosophers such as Aristotle and Plato. Turn the page. He also encouraged uh, his students to think for themselves, conduct their own research, and seek their own answers. He also told them to stick to their own beliefs and convictions, even if they were not popular uh, or what society deems normal. It is believed that this thought process uh, fueled him later because he really did just march to the beat of his own room, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, So Applewhite was a bright and talented young man who was musically gifted. He had a passion for opera singing, but was great in any genre with his powerful genre, genre, with his quote, powerful baritone voice he would also sing i'm a better singer gospel classical i love you baby girl guys i'm sorry (laughs) this is my life i want a motorboat oh my god (laughs) i'm done I'm going to run out of here tomorrow morning <laughs> as you're like squeezing your belly button together. What the fuck are you doing over there? My belly button's talking. Oh wah, my wah, wah, God. Wah. So he sang gospel, classical, and show tunes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, whatever. It's cool. He's like a Josh Groban. Yeah. Doesn't look like Josh Groban. No. But, uh, he also performed in numerous stage productions, playing the leading role or major supporting roles. In 1952, he graduated from Austin College. Now we know he had a a bachelor's degree in philosophy. Um, That same year, he married Anne Frances Pierce. He went on to have a son, Mark. And what a lot of sources say is an unknown, uh, an unnamed daughter that she was never publicly named. But I did see in a couple places that her name is possibly Lane. Why would she be unnamed? She, I think, after everything that happened... Just yeah. stay out of it. So his son publicly spoke, but not often, mm-hmm. and his daughter never did. Okay, so, that makes sense. <clears throat> uh, shortly after they got married, they moved to New York with the hopes of Applewhite finding fame and fortune as an actor and a singer. Uh, after multiple failed Broadway auditions, he realized it just really wasn't going to fucking happen. Yeah. He was disheartened and not knowing what direction his life was going in, so they moved to Virginia. Mm. Okay. He entered sure. the Union Theological Seminary of Virginia. So he planned on taking a three-year course that would result in uh, ordination in the Presbyterian Church. And you, you, you could be married, right? As a minister, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah. it's not like it's not Catholicism. Catholicism. Yeah. No, or, no. Okay. Um, he spent two semesters studying theology there, both the Old and New Testament. And it became very clear to him very quickly that this just wasn't for him. He just didn't want to do it. Okay. Um, while he thought a life in the ministry was noble, he couldn't see himself just following in his father's footsteps. Yeah. So he withdrew from the seminary and moved to Gastonia, North Carolina. Uh, it was here he decided he wanted to give his music career another shot. So he took a job at the First Presbyterian Church as the music director and assistant to the pastor. He restructured the entire choir, and many credit this to the increased attendance on Sunday services. So he thrived and was once again confident in himself. One member described him as, quote, drop-dead handsome, and said that when he sang, he looked and sounded like an angel. 
Oh, the voice of an angel. I mean, that's why I put it in there. I didn't listen to him sing, so I don't know. Right. Um, she remembered his eyes and smile, saying she could see how people could be mesmerized by him. Now, I've only seen later stuff of him, like his his twelve episode thing that he put out. Mm. I don't, I don't see how people could be mesmerized by that. No, I'm creeped. It's out. a little frightening. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> creeped out. Yeah, a little, little frightening. So. Apple uh, Applewhite became close with the organ player for the children's choir. Her name was Edith Warren. She admired his leadership skills and praised his singing. Now, she was also married, so the couples would double date often. Yeah. Um, she called him an entertaining conversationalist with a great sense, of, great sense of humor who was comfortable in the kitchen. He was a family man like his dad and devoted to his kids, always trying to make them smile. Mm. So... Just after the conclusion of the Korean War, Applewhite was actually drafted into the army. Oh, wow. uh, he served in Austria and New Mexico as part of the Army Signal Corps, which is the communications. Remember, we talked about it with the, with David Moust. Yeah. So, in 1956, he uh, was honorably discharged as a sergeant, um, and he really started kind of pushing the music career mm-hmm. thing. So, uh, he performed in local low-budget musicals in Texas and Colorado. And took a couple jobs as choir directors at different churches, including the First Unitarian Church of Houston and St. Mark's Episcopal in Houston. Um, <clears throat> in 1959, he took a job as the assistant music professor at the University of Alabama. He stayed about one to two years. Now, he formed bond with, bonds with his students, and they appreciated his approachability and humility. Um, <clears throat> a former student said Applewhite didn't look like a professor. He was very casual, laid back, and charismatic. Quote, he would have the audience in the palm of his hand. So now charisma is the compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. A divinely conferred power of talent. Mm. It's a little creepy. Yeah. A little, little weird. A little bit. Yeah. Little so... <clears throat> He, in 1964, was actually suspended from the University of Alabama for having an affair with a male student. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, at this time, he separated from his wife. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, he he's 28 at this time, and he's starting to kind of publicly show his interest in... Um, Aliens and extraterrestrial life. It started with the Roswell crash of 1947. Mm-hmm. Um, he called the Houston Police Department to ask them questions. <laughs> um, and that resulted in, in him being put on a list of, quote, suspicious characters. Uh, you think? Yeah, because that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fucking weird. And what the fuck are they going to know? <laughs> they were like, uh. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he wrote a couple essays on the cosmos, the infinite nature of the universe, and the existence of alien life. He was very open with his students when he was there, um, with his thoughts and his beliefs, but it was still contained in the sense that he didn't push it on anybody. Mm-hmm. If, if he didn't think you were interested, he wouldn't continue to talk about it. Really. Right, right. So... Um, in the early 1960s, Applewhite tried other professions outside of music, at one point being an occupational therapist at a TB sanatorium, excuse me, outside of Boulder, Colorado. I think you go to school to be an occupational therapist. Yeah. I guess then you didn't. Yeah, I, I know you do now. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Now you do. So he eventually returned to Houston in 1965 alone. 
because mm. obviously his wife didn't go with him. Um, at this time, it was uh, being gay or bisexual. It was iffy. Yeah. In Houston, though, there was actually a neighborhood that it was very acceptable, almost mm. like Boys Town. Yeah. Downtown. Um, it was the neighborhood of Montrose. And he lived at the time with a, quote, male companion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a job at the University of Houston and was allegedly fired for having another affair with a male student. Now, it was uh, it, it was said that he was just fired under suspicious circumstances. Yeah. Not that that's what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he got a job. A little butt play. Yeah, yeah. At St. Mark's Episcopal uh, directing the boys' choir. This time he was fired for his interest in the occult. Which at the time was UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like a big to do. But and he got fired for that? He got that? fired for that, yeah. Now that's a bit much. So um, he got a job as director of the music department at the Basilian Run University of St. Thomas. Now, Basilian is Catholics who follow the rule of Basil the Great. So Did not know that. Yeah. Uh, he also was cast in 15 productions with the uh, Houston Grand Opera. Wow. His performances were met with rave reviews. In 1966, a critic for Opera News attended a showing of Hansel and Gretel, where he played the father. Mm. I am struggling today. Oh, you're doing... Just slow down a little bit. Fucking brain's falling out of my head. No, just slow down a little bit. So he praised Applewhite for his, quote, blessedly audible baritone. In 1968, Anne finally filed for divorce and took custody of the kids. Did I grab you a full 10? Yeah, you did. did. Thank you. Um... After this, he was allegedly openly gay for a very short time, but was dating a woman during this time who ended up breaking up with him after pressure from his family. Now, it's not said like how far their relationship went, but just that he was very upset afterwards. Yeah. So between this, the end of his marriage and his sexuality crisis, he, he would actually later call himself bisexual. He uh-huh. would identify as bisexual. Yeah. Uh, his emotional and mental state was was going downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. In 1970, he resigned from the University of St. Thomas, citing depression and other emotional problems. And the university president would later recall that near the end of his employment, he was often mentally jumbled and disorganized. Ooh. Same. Yeah, I feel you. Same. Definitely feel you on that one. Uh, in 1971, he allegedly moved to New Mexico, but came back to Texas later that year. So now I say allegedly because... Nobody could really track him at this time. Like, there wasn't, there's not a lot of background. There's not a lot of confirmation. And obviously, he's dead. We can't talk to him, you know. Yeah. And his his family had no idea what the fuck he was doing. Right, right. So, um, around this time, too, his father, uh, who had allegedly rejected him after he came out about his sexuality, mm-hmm. passed away. Uh, took a significant emotional toll on him and caused a bout of serious depression. Yeah. In 1972, he checked himself into the hospital. Wow. Now, it is speculated that he checked himself into a mental facility that was debunked in 1997. Okay. So, not that it matters. Right. But that was like a big thing that, you know. So, his sister at the time said it was for a heart condition, and a friend said it was because of an overdose. Neither one could be proven. Right. Uh, the nervous breakdown theory was also debunked in 1997. Excuse me. He never spent time in a mental institution in the 70s. Mm. So it's here, though, where he met Bonnie Nettles. Mm. Um, there's literally nothing about her early life. 
Really? All we know is that she was born Bonnie Lou Truesdale in 1927 in Houston. That's it? That's it. Wow. Yeah. Um, she was a nurse, and she was in the middle of a divorce from her husband, Joseph, when she met Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, at this time, Applewhite's knowledge of UFOs was moderate at best. Nettle's knowledge of UFOs and the occult was so vast that it just sucked him right in. Really? He thought this was the greatest fucking thing ever. Yeah. So esoteric Christianity is an approach which features, quote, secret traditions that require an initiative to learn or understand. So it's like secret societies. Yeah. So. I gotcha. um, Nettles was a member of the Houston branch of the Theosophical Society of America. Mm. Now, this was kind of like. Uh, it's kind. Of, it was kind of looked at then, like Scientology is now. Okay. Does that make sense? To yeah. You? Okay. It does. So, um, <clears throat> it was founded by Madame Helena Blatvatsky in 1875. Uh, the underlying concept behind her thoughts was that there was a quote ancient wisdom religion, and all of the world's religions started from that. Wow. Theosophy states that there is a deeper spiritual reality and that direct contact with that reality can be established through intuition, meditation, revelation, or some other state transcending normal human consciousness, emphasizing the esoteric doctrine. Interesting. Yes. So they're saying, like, one of the things that I was listening to was people in this, you know, who yeah. believe in the theosophy, can breathe themselves into a state that's similar to taking ecstasy. Wow. Yeah. How the fuck do I do that? Someone yeah. come teach me that shit. That's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. So she actually, um, she, people studied underneath her, a lot of famous people. David Bowie. Oh, really? Was under her, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it was thought through theosophy that human souls go through multiple incarnations and those in society can learn from a variety of masters who are also called secret chiefs. The masters come from distant spiritual or physical planes of existence and they could present as physical or non-physical. They believed in biblical prophecy um, and really this is the passages of the Bible that are claimed to reflect communications from God to humans mm-hmm. through prophets. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> David Koresh, for example, said he was a prophet. He was the second coming of, of Christ. Yeah. They just said they were the new coming of Christ because they felt that there were multiple prophets. gods, prophets, because yeah. you shed your body. Right. So there's, there's more than one. Okay. Um, the concepts were largely influential on the later teachings of Applewhite and Nettles. And Nettles told Applewhite that their meeting had been foretold to her by extraterrestrials. Uh, Nettles, side note, wrote the astrology column for the local newspaper. Oh, really? Yeah. She also held regular se- uh, seances at her home, talking to uh, ancient religious leaders and Marilyn Monroe. Well, of course. I mean, obviously. You, you have to. got to. It's like fucking Ouija board. Yeah, you right. got to hit Marilyn Monroe every fucking yeah, time. You, you do. got to. She's, she's just sitting around waiting for people to do that. You know? <laughs> right. Um, so this took over every aspect of her life. And that's actually why her husband was divorcing her. Because he's like, you're fucking crazy. You're a nut job. <laughs> yeah. He took custody of their three kids and was gone. Yeah. 
Now, Applewhite Nettles hit it off immediately. He said, quote, I felt like I had known her my entire life. She started doing his astrological chart, which revealed that they had known each other in a past life and that they were going to be tasked with an important mission that they didn't know but would soon find out. Mm. I'd be like, what the fuck? Right? That's the equivalent of, we have to talk. (laughs) Fuck. You think of every bad thing you've ever fucking done in your life. Exactly. So this relationship was what they both felt that they needed. Nettles had always been more interested in a spiritual relationship than a physical relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Applewood had had nothing but failed relationships at that point. Right. And he wanted a deep and loving but platonic relationship. Okay. Um, many people said Applewhite acted crazy at this time. But Nettles held a strong influential hold over him. And she wasn't crazy. Mm. So it was her knowledge of ufological that's a term. That's UFO. Yeah. <laughs> Ufological and mystical subjects that made up it's the majority, I know, of their esoteric beliefs. I'm telling you, the amount of fucking words that I had to Google, is, <laughs> it's insane. So now, psychiatrists that studied this group and them afterwards um, are torn on the influence that Nettles actually had on Marshall. Some say that she made him delusional. Mm-hmm. And others say that she helped him avoid further psychological deterioration. She okay. pulled him out of his depression. Yeah. Um, he, at this point, cut off all contact with his family. Mm. Done. Yeah. When his son spoke out after everything that happened, he said that he, it had been more than 25 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, he, he didn't talk to them. Nothing. Wow. Completely cut contact. So, uh, Bonnie and Marshall opened a bookstore called christian arts center and they sold books from a variety of spiritual backgrounds it was located inside the first unitarian church of houston uh no one gave a shit about what they were talking about (laughs) so this was like the the new age era and people were tired of having it shoved down their fucking throat and they Mm. didn't you know yeah so they closed the store within a couple months they then left the city and set themselves up just outside of houston in an undisclosed location like a speakeasy yeah and started the no place but no as in k-n-o-w okay um this is where they taught classes on theosophy and mysticism and new age beliefs again no one gave a shit (laughs) nobody nobody wanted to fucking hear it so they met an occultist from the philippines that offered them spiritual guidance he confirmed their beliefs that they had a spiritual, or excuse me, a special mission, and he renamed them. I can't say these names, so I'm going to try. He renamed Bonnie Shakti Devi, which means powerful goddess. Shakalulu. Yes, and him Shri Pranava, which means auspicious yeah, mantra. Uh, the names didn't last long, but the effects did. Ooh. They were no longer individual people. They started calling themselves the two. Oh, geez. Oh, it, yeah. Here we go. So in February of 1973, they decided to travel through the Western U.S. to teach others about their beliefs. No. Mm. People weren't interested in Houston. <laughs> right. They're not. So they're not going to be interested mm. anywhere else. It's a tough sell. Yeah. Tough sell. A psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton described their travels as restless, intense, often confused, and a... a Failed spiritual journey. 
Alrighty. Yeah. So uh, their car broke down in Portland. <laughs> so this is where they stayed. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck are you going to do? So they were. Cars broke. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's settle. <laughs> they worked odd jobs, you know, to make some money and camped on the Rogue River. Now, a lot of people say that them staying on the Rogue, Rogue River, like it went down. This is where it started to kind of go, go downhill. downhill. Um, they received. Is a, the Rogue ri- River just a regular? It's just a regular okay. fucking river. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing. There's no ancient burial ground. Nothing like that. Mm. Got a cool I did name. look. Yes, I did look though. Well, that's what I thought. I mean, it's not called like the Mississippi River. No, like the Rogue. Right, River. right, right. So um, they received a joint revelation telling them their special mission. Hmm. They now believed that they were the two witnesses from the Book of Revelations. Ooh. Yes. That's um, heavy. Yeah, they were represented by two olive trees or two lamps because it could be physical or non-physical. Mm-hmm. Um. And they were prophets because Ooh. prophets could appear as people or objects. Yeah. Now, the book of Revelations is the only apocalyptic book in the New Testament. Right. So they believed that they would be uh, crucified. Oh, really? And then they would be resurrected after three and a half days mm-hmm. and taken to heaven by God on a cloud. Ah. Yes. On a cloud. After this realization, they became millennialists who believed that they would be killed in the final days. Uh, millennialism is a belief expressed in the book of Revelation to John that Christ will establish a, hundred, a thousand year reign of the saints on earth before the last judgment mm. and that there would be a golden age or paradise prior to the final judgment. Mm. See why Man, the Bible has some interesting uh, shit. Dude, with what I've learned between this and Waco. Yeah. Like. Huh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, So now, really, it's been Bonnie kind of leading the, the pack here. Applewhite's influence now comes through. So Nettles didn't practice religion growing up, but Applewhite did, obviously, and he attended the seminary. Mm-hmm. So him including the book of Revelations in his prophecy so to speak uh was considered to be a quote act of rebellion Mm. presbyterian faith ignores the book of revelation completely really it believes it to be heresy which is like going against yeah your you know the the normal beliefs yeah so they did not preach about the book of revelations they ignored it wow and his father was a presbyterian minister so it was like he was going against his, you yeah, know, Dan. I got it. Uh, Evangelicus strongly believed in revelations. Um, Hal Lindley, Lindsay, excuse me, is literally the sole person responsible for this. Really? Yes. Okay. So he, uh, he introduced the idea that revelations can be applied to modern contemporary culture in his book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Mm. So he said that the end of times was coming. And this was a new concept um, that he started in 1970 when his book came out. There was then a TV show in 1976 about it. But it combined their... So now they took him and then what they thought and they combined their beliefs on humanity reaching its full potential and the book of Revelations. So this was now called progressive millennialism. Jeez. And the world, so that means that the world is going to end, yeah. but it's not going to be with 
catastrophic events. It's just, you know, like it's not going to be tornadoes and earthquakes and fires and it's just the world's going to cease to exist. Right. So um, they are now saying that instead of being taken by a cloud, they will be taken by a UFO to a heavenly utopia at another place in the universe. That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, Their followers would go too. Sounds lovely. God was an extraterrestrial being, and heaven is a physical place one could travel to without dying. Now, huh. this this would be subject to change. Yeah. Yeah. So, their bodies would be transformed through a biological and chemical process into a perfected extraterrestrial being, and they would live eternally in the next evolutionary level above humans. Never really saw that at the morgue, but... No. No. Just uh, a lot of decaying. <laughs> so, it's... It's the same concept, really. Mm. I heard it... The, the best way I heard it was last podcast on the left. They're, they're like, all these religions, it's like ordering $50 of Taco Bell. It is. By the time you get to the end, the nachos taste like the crunch wrap. And, it, it you is. know, it is. So, it, but it's all subject to I interpretation. Mean, I'm, I'm a Catholic. You're a Catholic. But I, I don't believe in everything. No. You know, I, I, in high school, I had a couple priests that were teachers. Mm-hmm. You know that because mm-hmm. I went to an all-Catholic school. Right. One of the priests who, um, actually runs a church now he was the best one of the best teachers i've ever had but he was an older priest and he flat out told us he's like if you believe everything that the bible says you're crazy oh we're all damned to hell it's stories to to help you believe and that just that that, makes sense that made so much sense to me which is why it's so open for interpretation. Yes. You know, yes. we could be reading the exact same scripture and looking at it from two totally yes. different viewpoints. Yeah, and I totally appreciated him saying that because I always struggled with belief. It's shoved down your throat. And when he said that, it made so much yeah. sense to me. It does. It does. Because it, it, it's very much open. It's not... Right. It, the, the way that it's written, it... it to me, because it's so hard to fucking understand, right. you can take out of it what you want to take out yeah. of it and what you want to put into it. And that's what these religions do. Right. You know, so, it, and, and nobody's judging you for your beliefs. No, no one's judging. <clears throat> not at all. And but that's, that's why there's so many but, branches. And I have a problem with there's so many, though. Like, yeah. who's right and who's wrong? Well, exactly. You know, like, it, it just, I believe and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to confession. I don't, I don't believe in all that. You know, to tell a, a priest who, you know, no. is sinning himself. Right. You know, who probably sins and, you know, you're absolved of right. everything. But you when know? you have two totally different thought processes, like you said, who, who's right and who's wrong? Right. So they're interpreting it basically as a sci-fi novel. Right. And, and David Koresh, obviously, I keep going back to him, but it's really the only other right. religious figure that I know. Um, he sees it in a totally different sense. Yeah. But he also took it in the literal sense that the the chariots of fire were going right. to come attack them. And that's how he saw the FBI and the ATF. That was the chariots of fire. Right, right. So who's right and who's wrong? But I just, I, <clears throat> I don't, 
want to push my beliefs on on anyone. I believe, and you know, what helps me believe though is my near death experience. Mine too. Me too. You know, I wasn't I, a huge believer beforehand, but your situation can literally only be described as divine intervention. Yeah. It, it, and, when the and, doctors are saying that he's yes. he's gonna die, yes. and then I make almost a full recovery right. mm-hmm. in a matter of days. When like, you when you are comatose with a disease that has a one percent recovery rate, I, I mean it's it's divine intervention. Yeah. Me getting the phone call when I got it was divine intervention. But I'm not. And what I saw when I right, was in right. the coma. I mean, but we're not going through the Bible saying, okay, well, Jesus came to me and said this, 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 and this. But it's just, but you're right. Like, who's right and who's wrong? Right. It's just, there's too much, you know. I I don't know. That's, sorry. I know I'm going off a little bit, but it just. (laughs) It's okay. It's just, it's too much to me. And then there's just too much fighting over it. Look at all the the wars. I mean, believe what you want to believe. It's, you know, to each his own. and it, it, the, Most of the wars are over religion. Right. Well, know? yeah. Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yes. Believe what you want and that's and, it. And let other people believe what they want to fucking yeah. believe. Who cares? Whatever helps you get through this thing we called life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. To each his own. Other than vodka. Right. <laughs> so. Um, or whiskey. Uh, or whiskey. I mean, you know. Yeah. Both are great. With ice, you know. Yeah. So, although a lot of people saw their beliefs as crazy, there's no other way around it, um, they really appeared to be true believers in what they were saying. It, like, with their followers and, and everything like that, It they weren't trying to get anything out of them. Right. At first. At first. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, you know, they, they practiced what they preached and... They they believed in what they were saying and what they were teaching. Um, by 1974, um, this was their solid belief outline that this is what was happening. A friend from Houston who regularly corresponded with them um, started to believe their teachings and actually uh, became their first follower. Mm. So <clears throat> her name was Sharon Walsh. And in May of 1974, she became their first follower. Um, while a lot of their beliefs started with Bonnie, Applewhite was the one who spread the word. Yeah. She was not a um, talkative one. She, mm, yeah. So six days after hearing their teachings, she left her family. Wow. Up and left them to join the two to spread their beliefs. Um, they wrote a pamphlet that described Jesus's reincarnation as a as a Texan. <laughs> yeah, there's a song called "God Bless Texas." You think that's what he meant? Hey, yeah. mm-hmm. maybe. Um, this was a, a kind of a like referring to Applewhite because he yeah. was from Texas. Um, now they're saying that after their lives are restored, after they're resurrected, they'll be taken via spaceship. Ooh. Yes, and this would be called the demonstration. Ooh, so <clears throat> they they tried to spread their word. They went to uh, Boise, and they tried to confer- convert an anthropology professor. Yeah. And he said that they were very sincere, and he thought that they were true believers. 
but they had really weird fucking eyes, and that's what turned him off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be the deal breaker for yes. me, too. Sir, your eyes are fucking creepy. When you can see white all around, yeah. that's, that's bad. So everybody that they approached on this trip was like, cool, no. Mm-mm, not having it. No. Yeah. So uh, eventually Sharon's husband um, and her daughter sat her down and were like, quit being stupid and come home. Yeah. So she went home. She went home with them. Uh, her husband then had Bonnie and Marshall arrested for credit card fraud. Oh. Because <laughs> they used a gas card. So then Sharon was like, no, no, no. I told them they could use it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, however, the arrest brought to light a different issue with Apple White. He had rented a car with an expired credit card, which is, I don't see how that's his fault. How come you didn't fucking catch that? Yeah. Well, because he technically didn't pay for Wouldn't it. Wouldn't it just be de- declined? You would think, yeah. But back then, like, it didn't run through the machine. Oh, you, like, had to yeah. take the, you know, the, the paper copy. Yeah. So it might have had something to do with the fact that he also never returned it. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, he said that he had been, quote, Divinely authorized to keep the car. Yeah. So this is an actual thing. Antiniumism? I'm totally saying that wrong. Antinomism. It it basically means that you think that you're above the law because of your religious beliefs, essentially. So sovereign citizen. Yeah. Um, No one agreed with this, however, and in August of 74, he was arrested in uh, Harlingen, Texas, and extradited to Missouri, Mm -hmm. where he ended up serving six months in jail. Um, While there, he had plenty of time to think about Mm -hmm. everything, and he abandoned all topics uh, involving the occult, focusing only on extraterrestrials and evolution. Mm. Someone had too much time on their hands. Right. Um, so now he gets out and he's saying that him and Bonnie were aliens from the next level. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, they began afterwards seeking like-minded followers and they started calling themselves Guinea and Pig. All right. Because they were testing out the waters. They were Ah. testing the theory. Uh, their names were a little clever because they changed their names like 17 times. Yeah. So uh, in April of 1975, they were invited to speak at a metaphysical meetup hosted by wannabe cult leader Clarence Klug. Clarence Klug. <laughs> what up, Klug? I think of um, Woody Harrelson in, uh, fuck, what is that movie? The bowling movie. Oh, there goes my phone. The, oh, the bowling uh, movie. Kingpin. I feel like that's what Clarence Klug looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now Clarence wanted to lead a cult. Yeah. And he combined the Book of Revelations, which this is a big stretch, with chakras, which chakra beads. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And tantric energy. Oh. So we're talking about the apocalypse. And sexual positions. Cool. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. Total fucking sense. Makes sense. Uh, He also asked his followers for money. (laughs) A lot of money. Yeah. He wanted to print a book and publishers didn't want to print, you know, what he felt was the truth. So they had to self-publish. So he asked for a shit ton of money. 
Um, he didn't really pay attention to his followers. They were all kind of screwing each other, which you're teaching tantric energy. What did you expect was going to happen? Right. Uh, and it was plagued with gossip. So him inviting Marshall and Bonnie kind of backfired on him because everybody left him and followed them. Oh. So it was said that during this meetup that Marshall radiated charisma and gave off an aura of understanding and peace. I don't see what you're seeing. (laughs) I don't, I don't see it. Um, His eyes gave off this love thing. That's a quote. I don't see that. No. I see creepy eyes. All I see are fucking crazy eyes. Yep. So now um, they start preaching Matthew 25, 13. Now, Matthew 25, 13 is, no one knows the time of Christ's return. Mm-hmm. So now you don't have to like, Christ doesn't, God doesn't have to come get them at any specific time. He's now put an open end on it. Mm. He's also an emotional beast and cries all the fucking time. Yeah. So, which. Same. Geez, yeah, but it's different. No. It's, it's, it's different. So they now are preaching that the enemy are Luciferians, Luciferians. Now, they're not full enemies. You can live with them. You can live amongst them. But the point of them, they were uh, descending from the angels who had rebelled against the kingdom of heaven. And they ruled over the earth through secret societies like Illuminati and the Freemasons. Now, they weren't evil. They just tried to tempt you. Gotcha. And that was their job gotcha. um it, you know, apple white was preaching that in order to become saved you have to put work in luciferians said you you don't basically just mm-hmm. give in to the temptation um while apple apple white would do the talking nettles would sit next to him as his spiritual anchor only interjecting when she felt his statements needed clarification or when people started asking questions she would interrupt them um, he had the ability to make everybody feel like he was talking directly to them, apparently. And after two days, 24 people decided to follow the two of them. Wow. Yep. He told them to meet in April of 1975 in Los Angeles and said that they were going to meet at a campground in Gold Beach. Oh, wait, hang on. They were going to meet, okay, so they were going to meet in April in L.A., and then from there, they were going to go to Gold Beach, Oregon on May 5th of 1975. Okay. So there's no cell phones or anything back then. And they kind of just, like, said where they were going and hoped that people would, like, follow them. Yeah. So this, though, propelled them from just the two of them being spiritual gurus to now being really the founders of a movement. Yeah. Um. These people dropped everything to go with Nettles and Applewhite. Most of them were single, but there was one married couple that left their kids with a friend. Jeez. Um, They ended up leaving the group after three months. Now, people come and go a lot, but nobody ever left on bad terms and nobody ever left disillusioned. Mm -hmm. They all left with the same beliefs, but just couldn't commit to the lifestyle. Yeah. So... A lot of the followers were comfortably middle class, like uh, Marshall was. Few were wealthy. 
Uh, one of them was John Mickey Craig, who was a successful real estate developer. Um, he was almost elected to the Colorado House of Representatives. He left his wife and six kids. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. And she thought, it, it's a phase. He'll be back. Dude. He never came back. Oh, my God. He was one of the 39. Mm-hmm. But he did negotiate the lease <laughs> at the end. So, oh. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one member that left in 1978, but returned in 1994 after a chance meeting with a member. And he said that the world was cruel and he just couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, in October 7th, or on October 7th of 1975, uh, the New York Times headline said, quote, 20 missing in Oregon after talking of higher life. This article went on to describe Nuttall's and Applewhite's largest gathering, which happened on September 14th of 1975. It was a massive affair at the Waldport Inn in Waldport, Oregon. Upwards of 250 people showed up, um, and 20 to 31 people accepted the teachings and walked out of their lives. Wow. Now, their teachings were described yeah, uh, as vaguely biblical, biblical, uh, and I guess the implication was that you might leave on a UFO. <laughs> so these people were just like, all right, well, whatever, let's wow. go. Um, so now they changed their names to Bo and Peep huh. because they were leading a flock. <laughs> At the job. end, their names were T and Doe. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, the most popular one yeah. that people know. Yeah. So Bonnie was T and Marshall was Doe. And it was a reference to uh, Bonnie's love of the movie The Sound of Music and something with the octave levels. Mm-hmm. So... Um, their meetings were vague. Uh, they would be mostly at campgrounds, open fields, and then they just wouldn't fucking show up. So they, they hoped people would find them. Yeah. And then they wouldn't come. So people are like, they're communicating via PO boxes. It was a mess. But then they decided it's too willy nilly. They have to have rules. Um, so they started implementing the rules of no TV or newspaper, no drugs or alcohol, no jewelry or clothing from their, quote, old life, and no socializing, including with each other. Wow. So they had to cut off all contact with their families, and that they had to abandon the comfortable aspects of one's human life in order to join them and engage in human individual metamorphosis. Uh, I think he said, quote, you would have to literally overcome every human indulgence and uh, human need. It is the most difficult task that there is. You have to lose everything. You will sever every attachment with that world that you have. So those who followed had to give up literally everything, belongings, relationships, you name it. Um, this represented their first step in overcoming, overcoming humanity. Mm-hmm. And it was often referred to as freedom in a cage because he's, they're not forcing you to stay. They're telling you, you're, you're more than welcome to leave. But if, you know, you're also more than welcome to stay. But if you stay, you have to follow these. So if you can't commit to that, then, you know. Yeah. Um, a big thing to Marshall was that there was no sexual contact whatsoever. Mm-hmm. No thoughts, no sexual, sexual thoughts, no masturbation, nothing. Um, he felt that sexuality was the uh, closest bond to humanity. So mm-hmm. that's why he wanted it severed. Well, I'd be screwed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, one guy ended up leaving the group because he's like, I can't. That's the one thing I just can't get over. 
I, I got a I master race. Something. Right. <laughs> I got to spank the monkey. I got to do something. So <laughs> T and Doe, I'm going to call them now, T and Doe. They would actually test their members, which I think is very mean. They would pair up people that they knew were attracted to each other <laughs> and then send them out to spread the word of the teachings. Yikes. The problem is they would send them out and then they'd get lost. They'd go back to where the group was and the group was gone. What? Yeah. So one pair even gave an interview to a newspaper uh, to try and be found. <laughs> like, where the where the fuck did you guys Help. go? Yeah. Help me. Yeah. So they they'd go back and they were they were gone. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's goofy. So they felt that if you were supposed to be in the group, you'd find you'd find them. Yeah. Which no, you got to write that shit down. Right. Write it down. So. T and Doe were barely around. Uh, they based everything off of the honor system that, you know, people would stay. There was no rules, but there was also no retention. In 1976, they were being heckled at a presentation, and Bonnie stood up and announced that the harvest was over and the doors were closed to the new level, mm. that only 100 people were going. Um, all their followers believed that T and Doe were bringing the same message that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago, uh, advising them of Armageddon, but they said it was going to be a technological and material event instead of supernatural. Uh, they were interpreting the Bible in a more literal sense than most Christian churches, and they were approaching the Bible from an ancient alien perspective. So the Bible was um, a literal truth written about actual events as they happened. They used words like clouds and and angels because they didn't have the vocabulary to describe it as they saw it. Now, the people that did have the vocabulary to properly interpret it were the followers, and only the followers. In February of 1976, T and Doe gave an interview uh, saying their member count was 300 to 1,000, which is a pretty big difference. Uh, their actual number was closer to 200. When Bonnie stood up and shut the doors, they were down to 88. Um, so they scheduled a meeting in Medicine Bow National Park in Wyoming for June of 1976. Um, they, the purpose of the Wyoming meeting was to start preparing everybody for a life on the next level. They sent letters to uh, followers saying that they needed to be ready and needed to bring a car, a sleeping bag, a tent, two changes of clothes, a stove, and any money that they had. <laughs> Um, they then split the followers when they showed up at Medicine Bow into groups they called, quote, star clusters. These star clusters were named after different galaxies, and they were made up of a circle of tents um, that would mimic spacecrafts. They had people that they called helpers who would rotate, um, making sure that people's tents were set up exactly how they wanted them and that people weren't touching each other or themselves. Yeah. Um <clears throat> It was a strict uniformity at this point. And they called it a smooth whirlwind. Ooh. Yeah, that's how they would get people to get to know each other. But they can't socialize. Interesting. Um, so now they were coming to Wyoming thinking that the demonstration was happening. They thought that Nettles and Applewhite were going to be crucified and they were coming back, you know. And yeah. then they were going to be taken on a spaceship. But when they got there, Applewhite said that the demonstration was canceled because the followers weren't ready to ascend. They had spent too much time worrying about the demonstration and not enough time working on personal growth. Mm. So they started focusing on the here and now. 
Uh, T and Joe would give them small tasks to keep them focused, and they were called games. And they were small things used to instill discipline. Uh, the members at this point were getting restless without any structure because everybody needs structure. That's what we thrive off of, whether we like it or not. Right. Um, one member even went as far as saying they had a vision that T and Joe weren't aliens. So now in order to stop an uprising, they uh, announced that they communicated via, quote, chain of mind. God spoke to T, T spoke to Doe, and then Doe spoke to the followers. Yeah. Uh, They really cracked down on the rules at this point, but they made it all seem like a choice because he was a passive-aggressive motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, Rather than issue direct commands, he would explain his preferences and offer them a choice. He would also reiterate that they were free to disobey or leave at any, any time. This was called by some psychiatrists as an illusion of choice. Yeah. Um, he went on to explain that Earth was either hell or purgatory, depending on where you were in your growth, and that the purpose of temptation was to keep you there. And the Luciferians were doing the temptation, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it was all, Earth was all a test to see if you're worthy of heaven. And human attachments kept you from reaching the next level. They had something they called the, quote, decontamination zone. It was a small remote circle where members would go when bothered by, quote, spirits. Um, Those would be attachments to any old doubts, desires, habits, or memories. Um, They also had something that they called tomb time. Yeah. And when you were in tomb time, you couldn't speak any other words other than yes or no to answer questions. But many people meditated and said that this is when they started to really believe in the teachings really they had nothing else to do apparently um oh so towards the end of 1976 appleway and nettles singled out 19 of the least committed members um they were instructed to go to phoenix and get jobs and wait for further instruction they ended up being ghosted completely by marshall because he's again a passive aggressive motherfucker Um, but these people had to be manipulated into leaving. They didn't want to leave. But then, yeah, Marshall kept in touch for a couple of weeks and then pretty much ghosted him. Wow. Yeah. So between 1976 and 1979, they had uh, about 69 members, and they lived in campgrounds in the Rocky Mountains or Texas. Uh, the structure that they developed improved membership retention. Um, <clears throat> so they would often make sudden drastic changes. To, to their thinkings and beliefs. And it was, I don't know if the wind blew the wrong way or, or what, but like I, they were constantly changing it. Yeah. So now, um, you know, the people that didn't want to be there were told to go and they would, they would be given financial assistance. He would buy a bus ticket or a plane ticket to get them home. Yeah. Um, but now he's instructing them that their sole responsibility is to obey their leaders. Um, They were encouraged to constantly seek his advice and ask themselves what their leaders would do when making a decision. Many followers found Applewhite not to be like a dictator, but to be more um, laid back and fatherly. Yeah. So they sent out flyers and posters transposing the story of Jesus Christ into specific roles from Star Trek. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is where I like, this is, you had me, Bowen Peep, you had me. Yeah. You had me up until here. Right. I heard Star Trek and I'm like, fuck, no, Mm -mm, no. Yeah. So 
Jesus was the captain. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> I can't say what well, What they, else is he going to be? They would watch Star Trek on a TV that was plugged into the fucking cigarette lighter in their camper. That's awesome. And they would all gather and watch Star Trek. <laughs> uh, you had me. I'm sorry, Star Trek fans. You had but, me, Bo and Peep. Yeah. You had me. So Jesus was captain. And he brought an away team 2,000 years ago when he came here to help humans get over their humanness. And God was the admiral. Yeah. I mean, he would have to be, right? Well, yeah. Oh, my God. Babe, William Shatner is is, (laughs) Is that Jesus? Is God. And Spock is Jesus. Yes. This this is what what I'm talking about. What in the actual fuck? Dude, people kill me, man. Uh, mm. So, in 1980, they had 80 followers. Now, Apple White always said that he wanted quality over quantity, so he was not yeah. worried about, you know, the amount of people. Many held outside jobs, uh, working with computers, car mechanics. He didn't want them to have careers, though, because then there was fear that they wouldn't come back. Like, yeah. They liked it. So, right. um in 1982, they decided that the followers could contact their family. Mm. Some did, some didn't. Bonnie and, and Marshall did not. Yeah. Uh, in 1983, they were allowed to visit families on Mother's Day. They were told to tell their families that they were studying computers at a monastery. And this was intended to show their families that they stayed within the group on their own accord. Now, you would think... Okay, so they show up after being gone for however many years. Mm. Like, we have to keep them home. Yeah. But most people thought that their family members were fucking dead. So when they yeah. showed up, they were like, what well, just the? hug me. Yeah, right. Hug me. One apparently was like a down and out fucking addict who was just a, a criminal and just was in the gutters, basically. Yeah. He showed up at his parents' house. Like an upstanding citizen who helped clean the house and stayed for two weeks. And, yeah. and then he was just fucking gone again. So weird. It's very weird. So in 1983, Bonnie had to have an eye surgically removed due to a previous cancer diagnosis. She refused to see a doctor. She instead would pray for hours during mm-hmm. the day. Uh, in 1985, she died from liver cancer. So... This kind of fucked up about what they've been saying about going to heaven alive. Yeah. Because how can the leader, why would the leader die? Right. So Applewhite told his followers that Nettles had, quote, traveled to the next level because she had, quote, too much energy to remain on earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to do so, she had to abandon her body. The members, all except one, accepted this and supported him. Wow. He said that wow. the chain of mind had not changed and that Nettles still spoke to him because she didn't die. Her body did. Her body did. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, he was left behind because he had more to learn and she occupied a higher spiritual role. Role. He also began calling her the father and using male pronouns. Wow. Uh, uh, in my notes, uh, this is when shit started getting dark. <laughs> so, Just a bit. Just a bit. So Applewhite started to emphasize a strict hierarchy, teaching that he would be seen as Christ and that they needed his guidance and a relationship with him was the only way to salvation. 
Uh, individual choice was replaced with Applewhite as now the mediator. Before this, he refused to use the word religion, but the group was more like a religion now than ever because of its focus on faith and submission to authority. Yeah. Uh, her death forced Applewhite to say that ascension could be spiritual now. Uh, Nettle's spirit had traveled to a spaceship and she received a new body. Spaceship. Yes. Uh, the followers would now do the same. He dropped the butterfly metaphor started and started saying that the body was merely a container, uh, a vehicle of sorts is what he would call it. He also became increasingly paranoid, fe- fearing a conspiracy against the group and a raid by the government. He started frequently talking about the apocalypse now and said that wor- Earth was an overgrown garden that needed to be recycled and humans were a failed experiment. Um, he specifically cited sexual urges as the work of Lucifer. So he was really against, like, yeah. touching in any yeah, shape or form. So in 1988, he released a document called the 88 Update. Uh, it was mailed out to New Age organizations, but not much had changed in the previous 10 years. So it wasn't, like, something new. Yeah. Uh, in 1992, he released Beyond Human, which was a 12-episode series outlining the group's beliefs. You can watch it on YouTube. Oh, really? It's fucking Oh, I'm definitely going to watch this, it. It's the same thing. It's it's the same thing. Really? Over and over and over, and he rambles, and it... it oh, I'm totally going to watch it. He's asking questions. Like, he, he at first he gets mad that nobody's asking questions, and then they start asking questions, and he doesn't answer them. <laughs> and he goes off on, like, these tangents that have nothing to do with uh, what he was being asked. That's awesome. Yeah. So in May of 1993... Uh, the group took on the name Total Overcomers Anonymous. Hmm. They spent $30,000 to pub- publish a full-page advertisement in USA Today that warned of the apocalypse. Now, previous to this, two members had received uh, an inheritance of upwards of $300,000, oh, wow. which today would be like $1.5 million. Yeah. So they now started living in houses instead of tents, okay. and this is how they paid for the printing and all that stuff, because these uh. people voluntarily handed... Their shit over. He he it's didn't insane. he did not ask for it. It's insane. It, yes. So this advertisement they put in USA Today led to twenty former members rejoining. Wow. Mm-hmm. So between this document and a series of public lectures, membership doubled from the number in nineteen ninety. Uh, in nineteen ninety four, it was also the first time that Applewhite spoke of suicide as a possible way to reach the next level. Yeah. You have to reach the next level, but why do you have to wait for your body to die, right. is what he would say. So right. um, everything human, including the body, had to be forsaken. This was when the group was renamed Heaven's Gate. In June through October of 1995, the group lived in New Mexico, where Applegate hoped to open a monastery. At this point, though, he was in poor health and at one point thought he had cancer, which he did not. Right. Um, the winter proved to be too cold and the group moved to San Diego. Which I, I feel you. Um, the group strongly focused on the suppression of sexual desire. He saw sexuality, like I said, as the strongest form that binds a human to their body. So him and seven followers opted to travel to Mexico for surgical castration. What? Mm-hmm. And they I had to go to Mexico. You didn't? No. They had to go to Mexico because they could not find a surgeon in the United States who would perform it. Well, that I could believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was this just like 
lay on the couch Dude. lob those things oh my yeah God. yeah um he now implemented a, a uniform policy basically mm. they all had to dress the same and had uh the same haircut yeah. men and women alike yeah. uh in 1994 they released a poster talking about shedding of borrowed human bodies uh it is believed that they wanted uh death by suicide by cop that really? they put this out talking about suicide to get them raided. Yeah. Now, this poster that they released brought them 10 more members. Oh, my God. Some sources say seven. Some say 10. Wow. Um, a lot of people think that th- these people were suicidal and this gave them a reason. Yeah. This gave them an excuse, uh, an outlet, right. sort of. Right. But they got 10 more, 10 more members. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't in, even know what to say I, to that. I know. In October of 1996, the group rented a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, California, and they recorded two video messages offering viewers a, quote, last chance to vacate Earth. They learned of the comet called Hale Bob. Are you ready? Yeah. Applewhite believed Nettles was on a spaceship following the comet and was coming to get them. The vessel would then take them and their dead followers to a different life, a different level. Mm. Yeah. You had me, Bone Peep. You had me. You had me. Yep. Uh, Late March of 1997, the group completely isolated themselves and recorded farewell statements. Jeez. Uh, They recorded them on March 19th. Now, in these statements, which you can watch a lot of them on YouTube, a lot of them praised Applegate and they were excited to leave Earth. They they were excited. Yeah. They gave up their lives 20 fucking years ago. What's the difference now? Right. You know? Um, Applegate himself called it their, quote, final exit and said, quote, we do in all honesty hate this world. It would be suicide to not leave. Wow. On March 23rd, 1997, uh, this was the day that Hale-Bopp, the Hale-Bopp comet would be the closest to Earth. Mm-hmm. This is when everything started. They all went out to dinner and ordered 39 identical meals. You want them with eight? You know I found out. Turkey, turkey pot pies. Turkey pot pies. Blueberry cheesecake and iced tea. Sounds delicious. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no. No, it does not. So kind after, of a shitty last meal. Yeah. So after this, 15 members committed suicide on day one with nine people assisting. Wow. They drank vodka and ate applesauce or pudding that was loaded with barbiturates. Wow. Mostly phenobarbital, which is an anti-seizure drug, but can also be used as a sedative. Now, they didn't have the dosing. Great. Mm-hmm. So they ended up, the nine that were assisting, ended up putting bags over the, the 15 people's heads. jeez. Oh, um, on day two... 15 more people committed suicide with nine assisting. Uh, and now they would clean up the area around them and cover them with purple shrouds. Mm-hmm. On March 25th, the final nine, including Marshall, who was the seventh to die on that day, committed suicide. Now, they, these nine, they knew they were the last nine because they had no bags or shrouds yeah. because there was nobody to put them on them. Right. So... Um, they were wearing black track suits with patches that said Heaven's, Heaven's Gate Away Team. What? 
black $10 Nikes, which were since taken off the market, but you can find them on eBay for $6,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> a $5 oh, bill, fuck. three quarters, and a duffel bag with instructions next to them. Is that for the spaceship taxi? Y- yeah. <laughs> or the tolls. You know. right. Um Prior to <clears throat> the suicides, they mailed letters out to former members. Yeah. Um, on March 26th of 1997, Rio D'Angelo received a letter. He was a former member. He went straight to the house and recorded what he saw. That's how they got the videos. Oh. Okay. He knew the minute he got the letter that they had carried out their plan. Yeah. So, um, it, that's I, that's when they found him, obviously. So, it, it was speculated it wasn't a great way to die. There was blood spatter on the walls. Yeah. Like, from coughing up blood. Um, there was urine everywhere. Jeez. There was a former member, uh, his name was Chuck Humphrey, uh, Chuck Humphrey. He was a member since the 70s. He was very happy for them and was actually kicking himself for leaving and not being part of the 39. Really? Him and another member, Wayne Nice Cook, who was 54, and then Chuck Humphrey, who was 56, yeah. were found in a San Diego motel. They had bags over their heads. They had taken barbiturates. They were in black tracksuits with $5.75 and their duffel bags. Wayne Nick Cook succeeded. Chuck did not. He was rescued. Oh, my God. In the summer of 1997, he was found at his home with a bag over his head, a hose in the bag connecting to the car. Jesus. He he, he wanted it. Yeah. He had to go. Yeah. So a year after the suicides... Uh, San Diego County wanted to auction off the belongings to pay for the funerals. Two people by the name of Mark and Sarah King, who are active members, there are still people. What? (laughs) They have an active website. Oh my God, you're kidding me. Uh, No, remember what I showed you and I said it looks like the Green Bay Packers thing? Yeah. That's their fucking website. And as of like a year ago, they were still answering emails. Wow. Yeah. So, Do you know how many mm-mm. people? No. I was afraid to go down that rabbit hole, to be honest with you. Yeah. So <clears throat> they actually fought to um, not have the belongings auctioned off because they didn't know what was in the house and they mm-hmm. didn't want writings and teachings to be, you know, yeah. just whatever. Right. So they paid $2,000 for all the belongings in the house and they promised not to profit off of anything that they got. Right. So they're still active members. Now, the Hollywood Museum of Death has the actual bunk beds, the actual shrouds, and the actual tracksuits. So they have mannequins. Oh, you're kidding me. No. No. Now, it would be one thing, I guess, if it was like a reenactment, but this is like the actual clothing that they wore, laying on the actual beds. fucking terrible. Yeah. So that is something that you can see. So that is the story of Heaven's Gate, which uh, is considered, it is the largest suicide in U.S. history. And I know a lot of people are like, no, 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 Jonestown. The thing with Jonestown was a lot of members um, and children were shot. A lot of members were shot trying to escape. And a lot of children were shot because children don't know how to commit suicide. Right. So they can't, they can't tell 
I, I mean, there was like so 900 murder suicide. Right. So it wasn't specifically a suicide. And out of the 913, they couldn't, or 23, whatever, they couldn't differentiate between the two on a lot of them. You know what, though? But the first 18 with bags over their heads, couldn't you say that's a murder suicide? They all had suicide notes. They all had notes. Uh, yeah. They And they had all recorded statements two days prior. The bags weren't part of the plan. The bags came into play after they didn't have a a strong enough dose of the barbiturates. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. And if they had assistance. But they recorded video statements two days prior saying that this is what they were doing. This is how they were going to do it. This was what was going to happen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that is Heaven Gates. That was good. That was good. They had me. I was with them. Yeah, the, the, but then they just, they oh go out what, to left field. As soon as Star Trek, I, I heard Star Trek and I was like, fuck. Yeah, like, done, dude, really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Now, the book, the book of Revelations fascinates me. Mm-hmm. It, it fascinates me just in what it is and how it can be interpreted. Oh, yeah. In none of those ways <clears throat> do I see it being interpreted <clears throat> as fucking Star Trek. No. Not at all. No. Not at I all. don't even, I, I don't understand where the extraterrestrials came in, but this was, a, this is not something that they made up. This is right. something that they genuinely, you know, believed. Right. And the end of times was something that Hal Lindsey brought up, but the, the UFO and the extraterrestrial, that's been around. I know. Which, I, know. Ugh, I don't, I don't, I don't see how it can <sighs> be interpreted as that, but to, to each his own. own and you had you had me until Star Trek. Yep. You did. Yep. I was I was in your corner there, Marshall. Yep. I get it. And then you said Star Trek. And then left field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, William Shatner was... is the admiral. <laughs> what the fuck? The fucking admiral of the West Wing. Jesus Christ, babe. <laughs> that was good, babe. That mm. was good. I'm glad you did that one. <clears throat> that was for you. Um. Yeah. Th- there was some stuff in there that I didn't know. So. I'm surprised you didn't know about the castration. Yeah, that I did not know at all. <laughs> I did not know. Which, why was he so focused on that? I don't know. And it was, I mean, he was focused on it for, yeah. for decades. But why was yeah, that the main focus? I don't know. You got me. Because he was, Im- was he embarrassed it, of his sexuality? That's almost what I'm thinking. You know? That, you know. Nobody cares you like dudes. Right. It's cool. <laughs> but plays cool. Do whatever. But I wonder if that's what it, it was. Yeah, I, don't know. I think you're right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I did want us to speak a little bit on the Highland Park shooting, oh which was in the Chicago area the other day. Um, somewhat close to us. Yeah. But how fucking terrible. I um, couldn't. I couldn't. They interviewed a mom who was running with her six-year-old. And mom was too small to carry her six-year-old. I couldn't carry Jack's. Yeah. I mean, fuck. The little girl lost her shoe yeah. running. And one of the attorneys that I used to work with and know real well, his family got stuck in it. it it's just, it, it's fucking terrible. And I, whatever your belief is on guns, I mean, we all have our opinions, mm-hmm. but something's got, something's got to happen. We, we got to come yeah. together is one and all i'm gonna say is i mean 
and as hard as it is for me to say this, you know, I'm not okay mentally. And if I can go in and just lie on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and get a gun, yeah, that's a fucking problem. Yeah. So, I mean, you hide the gun. We have guns in the house, mm-hmm. and you hide them from me. Yeah. Which I appreciate. I, I don't want to know because... They were for a period of time just completely taken out of the house. But I'm also a gun advocate. I grew up right. with guns. And I want a way to protect my home and my family. And, and that's why I don't want to get rid of them. But I taught you guys how to shoot, you know, in case of an emergency. But if I could go in and lie, I mean, that that's pretty fucking bad. Because, so... And I know this guy got him legally, legally but like, still. What do you need that for? Right. What do you need that? I, you, so in the, I don't know how much, I know it's nationwide news because I've had a lot of listeners reach out to me from Seattle and New yeah. York and, you know, I I had a hard time with this one. They they showed a picture of on the news of this this little boy, this little two-year-old boy whose mom and dad were shot and killed. Yeah. And he was standing there. He didn't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. So other parade goers had, they grabbed him and put him on Facebook and was like, does anybody know this kid? Like, you know, and I feel bad for the first responders <clears throat> too, because if you don't know this area, Highland Park is an upper class area. Michael Jordan lives in Highland Park. This shit doesn't happen they, there. They don't know how to deal with it. So mm-hmm. to have a mass murder, right. you know, there was a picture of a cop that was, <sighs> on the sidewalk walking just with his hands yeah. on his face. I mean, it's a lot to deal with. You know, I was used to it mm-hmm. and I got used to it, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it, it took time seeing dead bodies yeah. and seeing murders. And, you know, now it's like nothing to me, but right. like when you just are writing tickets and, you know, used to writing fucking speeding tickets and then right. you have a mass murder, you know, that that's a lot. Right. And that's you know, a lot to fucking deal with there he had had two uh instances where he came into contact with law enforcement and the guy that spoke yesterday was was very good he was answering the questions very well and the reporters were trying to kind of tear him apart like at one point there was a a, an attempted suicide but he they called days later and he was already under the care of a doctor yeah and then there was another time where they made contact with him and they removed guns or excuse me knives from his possession yeah. so the reporters were like well what the fuck how could he buy a gun right. why didn't you arrest him because there's no grounds for arrest right there's no grounds for arrest like you can't you can't blame the cops and you you can't blame the cops for not finding his youtube videos right if somebody doesn't report it they don't fucking they don't know they're know. there yeah, they don't know. There's not a cop sitting at the station watching fucking YouTube of 70 million people every day. They don't right. know. But you know, I, you I, can't I, fault them for that. I, I think just being out of police work now and seeing from the outside so much shit happening, you know, I think it is kind of changing my mind a little bit. Like, We, we have guns for protection. Yeah. We have legally owned firearms for protection there's a difference between having two legally owned firearms and buying five weapons including an assault rifle at the age of 22 right within a matter of months right that's a huge fucking difference what, what the fuck are you doing what dude? do you what do you need it for yeah 
and and that should be fucking asked. You know, I, and I'm assuming, I don't know, I'm assuming they were not all bought at the same time and they were not all bought from the same gun shop. Right. So how... I mean, so I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know I don't stricter backgrounds. I, I I don't have an answer, but it just we, we got to come together. It's a it's a it's a hard one. It it really is. It is. You know. It is. Because of the technicalities of yep. legally obtaining a gun and not legally like Columbine, they had a, they had an eighteen year old buy the gun. Yep. You know. Yep. So and the Brady Bill, where you know it was only licensed dealers that had to run background checks these people walked into a gun show and paid cash for for rifles so while it technically was legally obtained they don't fucking you know they don't need them right so it's it's a hard double-edged sword i think for people in law enforcement and for gun advocates and because while we preach for for you know the second amendment right there's also no reason for a 22-year-old right. to obtain five firearms there, within a matter of months. Right. There, there's just too much shit going on. Yeah. So, but our thoughts and prayers, prayers are, are with them. <clears throat> um, you know, it's fairly close to us, you know, just on the north side. Yeah. So. It was a rough one. It, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I don't know. We'll be talking in a couple days i guess yes i'll i should have a uh, the next one done shortly okay awesome and merch mm, yeah don't <laughs> forget to get your merch people all right uh patreons also we love you again listeners we love you listeners we love you keep spreading the word like follow subscribe write a review but don't yeah. be mean yeah we're sensitive <laughs> we're sensitive <laughs> How many people do you think are fucking dying laughing right now? They're like, Jamie's not fucking sensitive. No, Come on. It's a fucking cunt. Right. That's exactly. Yes. Yes. That's exactly Mark, what they're saying. Mark's a fucking douche and Jamie's a cunt. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Right. All right, people. Thank you oh. guys. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Brittany, bitch. Thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah. For your package. Yes. Thank you. And I am going to put It's Britney Bitch on a t-shirt. I'm going to do that shit tonight. Awesome. I'm waiting for holographic shit to get here. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. All right. Thank you guys. And we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye.